Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And uh, we have a special chance this morning to hear uh, Larry and Diane. Actually, just Larry. Diane is going to be cheering from the bleacher sections. Uh, but if you're newer to Norfolk, you would not know who these people are. So let me just give you a brief background. Uh, they have served in Africa in the country of Chad and the surrounding area there for a long time. And one of the things that they have uh, accomplished is the uh, translation of the New Testament into the Donglia language. And I was going to hold my translation up, and I can't find it in my office. So that either speaks of my office being a mess or me not being able to find it. I'm not sure which one. But uh, they have done that. And in the COVID, just like we've had to adjust, they've had to adjust. And so uh, it's been a while since they've been here. If you go out on the wall, is our missions wall. Those are not just names and things. Those are actual people. We support work all over the world, and uh, Larry and Diane are one of the ones that we really have a relationship with and love. So would you give Larry a big Norfew round of applause as he comes this morning <laughs> and shares. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, I was talking to some of the old timers around here. We are trying to figure out how long we've been hanging out with Norfew, how many years. And somebody said you'd been in this building for 15 years. And I know we were at Archbishop Murphy. Was that the name of the school for, you know, a couple times? So it's been well over 15 years, I think, we've been hanging out here. The last couple times I spoke, I think Diane shared as well. And so some people this morning were saying, hey, what's going on? It's just you? What did I come for? But uh, we didn't plan that this morning. So maybe next time Diane will get to a chance to share. But uh, we've definitely done this as a team over the years. So hopefully uh, we'll get these slides working. There we are. We're going to be talking about a passage from 2 Peter chapter 1, a light shining in a dark place. And I'd like to start out just by reading that passage for us. 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 12. Peter writes, So I'll always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you would do well to pay close attention to what is written, for these words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So we have a number of questions we'd like to address this morning. First of all, why is God's word important? Second, how can God's word help us? Third is just listening to God's word enough. Four, what does God promise to those who obey? Why is this important? Why here and why now? 
after uh, the season of COVID, I went through a, a time over a year, very unusual for me. I didn't travel overseas. For the past 30 years of our life, we spent more time in Africa than we spent in the United States. And I often traveled to Africa at least half dozen times a year. But during that COVID time, that didn't happen. But I was able to go back to Africa for the first time in June. And then again in July, in July, I was in the country of Nigeria. And I'm going to contrast. I gave a, a very similar message to this twice when I was in Nigeria. And uh, we're going to contrast a little bit the experience in Nigeria with the experience in, in the Mill Creek, Bothell area, believe it or not. But we want to start out with talking about these, these uh, five questions. Why is God's word so important? And again, we go back to that passage Peter's writing this passage, and he knows it's toward the end of his life. Uh, he's wanting to pass on the things that are most important. And, you know, we're hearing from Peter, who is an eyewitness of all that happened during Christ's lifetime. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration when, when God the Father spoke, This is my Son, whom I loved, with whom I am well pleased. It says, We ourselves heard this voice. Then he goes on to say, we have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. You would do well to pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. Notice that capital D, the day dawns, the day of Christ's uh, second return. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So why is God's word so important? Why would we do well to pay attention to God's word? Well, I think the first answer is because it's completely reliable. It's God's word. As Peter makes clear, the writers of Scripture did not speak from their own initiative, but moved by the Spirit of God, they spoke from God. And second, because... It's changeless. So much in our world around us seems like it's changing all the time. It's hard to know what you can believe from one day to the next. He says, God's word is like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. Until Christ comes again, we can rely on that word. And as Christ himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The grass may wither, the flowers may fall, but God's word stands forever. So why is it so important? Because it's God's word. Because it's changeless. I like this quote from John Piper. I think this was a quote he gave at the time that the English Standard Version was first being uh, introduced to the world. He says, as Christians, we believe that since the original writings of the Bible in Greek and Hebrew have been faithfully preserved and the translation faithfully rendered, that when you hold the Bible in your hand, you're holding in your hands the very word of God. If you think about that, that's a breathtaking affirmation and an infinitely important reality. So let me say it again, John says. We hold in our hands and are able to read what the creator and ruler of the universe wants us to know. The Bible puts us in touch with God's thoughts about everything that the Bible addresses. And he goes on and he says, I like to compare God's word, loving God's word with the way I love my eyes. You say, huh? What? You say, well, I love my eyes not so much for their own sake, but because of the world's 
My eyes open up for me. They allow me to see and appreciate all the riches of God's creation that surround me. In the same way, we don't worship the word of God. It isn't an end in itself so much, but we value it so highly because it allows us to know and understand God's will for our lives. Through his word, we can at least begin to understand all the riches of what God has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. You may pick up from that picture. Steve talked about the Bible that he lost in his office. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to razz him a little bit more about that. But this uh, picture was taken on the day that we dedicated the, the Dungleot New Testament that Diane and I helped to translate in Chad in kind of north central Africa. And somebody had given us the idea that you could, we could build a replica of the New Testament. That's not the actual New Testament. It's not that big. But it's a replica that was made out of wood. And inside that box, we put a number of things that kind of represent what God's word is. And in the course of the dedication ceremony, we had a friend who pulled those objects out of the, device, out of the box and told people, hey, this is why this New Testament is important, because God's word is like a lamp. I don't know how many people these days know what a kerosene lamp looks like, but in Chad, those are still a common occurrence. And, uh, of course, God's word tells us that your word is a lamp to my feet in Psalm 119. So God's word helps us to find the correct way to navigate through all the complexities and difficulties of life. So the first thing they pulled out of that box was the lamp. And the second thing they pulled out of this, this box was an armed dagger. I know at one point we, I don't know if you, Steve, you got one, but at one point when we came home on furlough, we brought armed daggers for the pastors of, uh, of our supporting churches. We'll have to get Steve an armed dagger, get James an armed dagger. But uh, in our area, that's the men all carry these and they have them strapped to their upper arm. They kind of have loose garments and you use it to protect yourself or for various uh, occasions. They have local people that hammer out the, the steel to make the blade and then there are specialists that kind of wrap the leather around the, the blade. So when they pulled that out of the box, everybody knew what that was in the, in the Dangliat context where we worked. And of course, Hebrews 6 says that the sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. So it can be a defense, it can be an offense. God has given us that Word. It's like the sword of the Spirit. And again, in Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword you see that one's double-edged right if you just have one sharpened on one side in our context in chad that was for the ladies you have this one this is for the men only men carry this one there's another one has a different name that was for the ladies a double-edged sword and that the word of god penetrates penetrates to the division of soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart so not as god's not only is god's word a sword it can protect us it can help us but it also penetrates to the deepest part of our being and judges the thoughts and attitude of our heart. Well, the third object that was in there was that. What do you see? It was a mirror. And again, it says, anyone who listens to the word of God but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and forgets what he says and goes away. So as we look at God's word, it helps us, helps us see ourselves the way we really are. I'll be really surprised if anybody knows what this fourth object is. Maybe Matt has an idea back there. It kind of looks like bread, and it is the equivalent of bread in the Dangliai context. It's called bul or ande or esh, depending on which language you're using. Basically, every meal they have, they have this, it's kind of a, 
It's made from millet or sorghum, and you take a piece of the, of the boule and you dip it in the sauce, and that's, that's real food. Anything else isn't really food. It's just kind of pretend food. But this is real food. And, of course, Matthew 4, 4 says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So those are the four objects that were there. And, and again, we just celebrate the relationship we've had with Northview over many years that you helped bring that New Testament together. We weren't really the ones that did the translation. We helped facilitate and make the translation happen. And we worked with a group of great people that uh, made that process happen. And again, I'm going to get on Steve's case a little bit because that's a copy of what the New Testament looks like. And the ones I like look like this one. You look at the gold, gold leaf on the cover, it's kind of worn off. If you open it up, the spine is broken, it's dirty. I'm pretty sure if Steve ever finds the one that we gave him, it's going to be nice and clean and, you know, because he doesn't use it. Of course, he doesn't speak the language. So we'll kind of let him off the hook. But when we recently, we visited the Dunglad area a couple years ago. This was the pastor's Bible in the church. And some people came and they had their, their brand new ones. You know, they still looked like they, they were right out of the box. I don't like those ones very well. You can tell that they're not using them that much. It's like Steve's copy. You can't even find it. But... <laughs> The pastor of the church, I loved his because you could tell every day he uses it and it's dirty and it's tattered. And I think we were able to get him a new copy and chances are the new one kind of looks like this one now. But those are the ones I really like. And what we liked even better is that, uh, you know, when we first went there, we thought, okay, we're going to help the people translate the Bible into their language. We're going to teach everybody that's interested how to read and write their language. And it's going to be great. God's word's going to be available. They're going to have access. They're going to be able to read it for themselves. And, you know, Diane worked with a ladies' literacy class. A lot of the ladies hadn't had the chance to learn to read in school, so they're learning for the first time as an adult. They would meet, you know, maybe one evening per week during the dry season when they don't have so much field work. And they were so proud of themselves that they learned how to read the Dunglead Bible. And they'd come up and they'd show me the Bible and they'd read a little bit. And I'd say, oh, that's really good. But to be honest, the majority of them... It wasn't that good. <laughs> it was kind of choppy. You know, they were beginner readers. They are doing their best, and they were proud. And then this organization called Faith Comes by Hearing came, and they, they, they spent about six to eight weeks. I don't remember exactly how long it was for Dongliat, and they were, did a high-quality recording of the whole New Testament to be done in like 20 different voices. So Peter was one voice, and Paul was another voice, and Mary was a woman's voice. And they put them in these little black boxes. They're called proclaimers. It's a solar-powered uh, audio device. And we went back to the village, and we saw this same group of women that Diane had worked with. They had their proclaimer there. They had their Bibles open in front of them. And they're listening to this dynamic recording of their language with their friends, you know, who are reading it. And they're following along in their Bible. <clears throat> and there was a lady named Ansuar who Diane had worked with in, with these, this woman's group. And she was the facilitator. And they would go through together, what did you hear? What does it mean to us in our place and our time? And what are we going to do about it? And we saw that, the combination of the written and the audio, we thought, wow, this is the future of the program. We thought if we just taught people to read and write, that was going to be the end of it. But the combination of those two was really powerful. For the last few years, I've had the privilege of being the Africa director of Faith Comes by Hearing. So we're able to help... Uh, send those proclaimers out across Africa and see replicated what we saw among the Dunglat population. So why is God's word so important? Because it's God's word and because it never changes. How can God's word help us? 
Again, I think this is a familiar passage to many of you. Paul writing in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses us to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So how can God's word help us? Well, we see at least five things there. One, it teaches us what is true. That's the positive side. It makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. That's the negative side. It corrects us when we're wrong. Again, the negative side. It teaches us to do what is right. The positive side. God uses us to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Those are at least five of the, way, five of the ways that God's word can help us. Third is just reading God's word enough. This is our third and final passage this morning from James chapter 1. James writes, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to God's word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. We just heard about that. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So is just reading God's word enough? Is just listening to God's word enough? And of course, the answer is no. Don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling, it, fooling yourselves. Faith comes by hearing. We have a number of uh, field coordinators that are based around Africa. We have a, a lady in Uganda. Her name is Christine. And I wish Christine was here this morning to do this presentation because she can do it so much better than I can. But I've heard her do it many times. And as she's training the facilitators for these listening groups, she always does these same steps. And you see somebody reading the God's word there. You see somebody listening with those, those headphones. And she says, is God's reading, just reading God's word enough? And the problem is, is that when we just read, it's like the knowledge goes into our head. It's like those thoughts, the concepts, the words are in our head. But it can't stop there. If it stops there, you don't get to the impact. You don't get to the, the life-changing value. So you have to reflect on God's word. And as you reflect on God's word, God, God's word goes from your head into your heart. And it's better not to not do it alone, but it's even better if you can do it in the context of that group. So again, that's a group of our Dongliad friends. They have their Dongliad Bibles open in front of them. They're listening to the proclaimer. And somebody takes the lead not to teach people so much, but to let them walk through themselves. Okay, this is what we heard. What does this mean to us, where we are today, where we're sitting? And of course, you can do that e uh, equally well in Chad, where this picture was taken, or in Bothell, 
Snow Creek. And as you do that, God's word goes from your head into your heart. But Christine would tell you that that's not enough either. That there's a, a third step that's involved that goes from our head. Those are the thoughts, the concepts, the ideas to our heart where the thoughts and ideas become convictions, where they start to have the life-giving power. And finally, the next step needs to be hands that we put into practice what we learned. So that's what Amsuar would do with this group of lady in the village. She would bring people, okay, this is what we heard. Let's go back and reread this verse. And then in their halting dangliat, they would reread that verse. Say, what does this mean to us in the village of Kubu Adagul here in Shad, where we are today? And finally, what are we going to do about it? So again, is reading God's word enough? The answer is no. You have to do what it says. And the final question, what does God promise to those who obey, obey? And again, if we look at that same passage we just read, the last part, it says, if you do what it says and don't forget to do what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So what does God promise to those who obey? He promises to bless you. I told you before that I gave a similar message to this when I was in Nigeria last month. The first time I gave the message was in the city of Lagos. The city of Lagos is the biggest city of Nigeria, in, in Nigeria and the biggest city in Africa. Uh, 12 million, nobody knows for sure, maybe 14 million. The traffic in Lagos is atrocious. You leave where you are, you, you go just to the other side of town. It may take six hours, seven hours, eight hours, depending on the traffic. Um, we had teams going out, and they, they're planning a 90-day campaign. It started August 1st. It goes through the, uh, the end of October. The first 30 days, they have people meeting virtually. They started doing this during COVID, where people listen to a passage using the WhatsApp on their telephone, and they have uh, virtual coordinators that somebody comes on, and they start asking questions. You know, what stood out from you? What do you think about this? You know, what, what difference does this make to us? What are we going to do about it? The same sort of questions. That's the first 30 days. The second 30 days, we have 4,000 proclaimers we're going to send out to churches. People are going to go to older people, people that don't have access to that smartphone, get them together, do the same thing, but face-to-face -face groups. The last 30 days, they take the same audio. We put it together with a, a Lumo gospel film. I don't know if you've seen the Lumo films, but they use the full text of the four gospels. And we have those films available in the five main languages that are spoken in Lagos. And they're going to take uh, little mini projectors. <clears throat> they have 300 little mini projectors or tablets. The audio ones are called proclaimers. The video ones are called acclaimers. And uh, they're going to take them out in the community, and they can show a high-quality film in their community in Yoruba and Igbo and Hausa and Nigerian Pidgin. And uh, it's like a magnet because people hear the language, and they see this really high-quality picture, and they, they want to see what it's about. So they go, and they look. They get hooked. And again, they watch a bit, they stop it, and they help people process what they're seeing. What did you hear? What does it mean to you? What are you going to do about it? So that, the first time I gave this was in a big Methodist church in, the, in, uh, in Lagos. They say the biggest Methodist church in the world is in Lagos. The biggest Anglican church in the world is in Lagos. You have, on the one hand, you have kind of chaos, you have dysfunctionality in Lagos, problems with traffic, problems with this, that, and the other thing. But on the other hand, you have motivated believers that, that love our Lord, that are wanting to serve him, and it's a privilege to be there and to help them to interact with God's word. And I know in the course of this 90-day campaign that just started this month that they have high hopes that God's going to work through his word and bring revival to the church at that time. And I went from there up to the north, 
We prayed for some missionaries that you support. Is it Manuel and Grace that have been living in Abuja and are moving to Joss? And I flew up to the north of Joss and I spent a couple days in Abuja. And uh, that's a very different context up there. The majority religion isn't Christianity. And uh, there's a lot of tension going on between herders and farmers. And there's the Boko Haram thing going on up there. And uh, we were planning a conference for Abuja uh, toward the end of next year in 2022. And we met with something called the Nigeria Evangelical Missionary Alliance. And I imagine Emmanuel and Grace are, are part of this alliance. And that's part of what's exciting about, about Nigeria. You see that Sahel region? The conference we're doing is focused on the Sahel region of Africa, which is some of the hardest ground in Africa. There are all sorts of challenges there. There's unrest, there's religious unrest, there's political unrest, there's, uh, it's a very poor area. But one challenge that we have there as a church is there are many Muslim unreached people groups in that area. And the idea of the Sahel Initiative is to get church planning organizations together, Bible translation organizations together, media and development organizations, and say, what can we do to help reach that, that area of the Sahel. And if you look at the north of Nigeria, if you can find that on the map, you'll see that a lot of those unreached, Muslim unreached people groups are in Nigeria in the northern half. <clears throat> the vision of the Sahel Initiative is to see the kingdom of God manifested in locally relevant and holistic ways among all the Muslim unreached people groups of the Sahel. So I was doing this presentation at the NEMA office, the Nigeria Evangelical Missionary Alliance, we we're planning this conference that we're hoping to do in October of next year. It's not confirmed yet. We're hoping to get Rick Warren, purpose-driven life, finishing the task network as a plenary speaker, and then three prominent international, uh, internationals from Africa will be uh, the, the speakers in the afternoon session. It'll be in English and French, hosted again by this Nigeria Evangelical Missionary Alliance. We're hoping to get 400 people, not just from Nigeria, but from across that Sahel region. So it's like Senegal, Mali, Burkina Faso, Chad is right in the, in the midst of that, Sudan, Eritrea, Ethiopia. So we talked about these questions. Why is God so important? How can God's word help us? Is just listening to words God's word enough? What does God promise? And then why is this important? Why here and why now? When we ask that question, we're asking it in Joss, Nigeria. And it's a little different situation there. And again, my first response was because Nigeria is Nigeria. Nigeria has the biggest population of any country in Nigeria, in, in Africa. They have more languages than any country in Africa. Many of those languages don't have translation. So it's a huge challenge for us as a, as a global church. How do we help these people get God's word when there are over 500 languages? When you have a population that may at some point surpass that of the United States, their population is growing quicker. There are already uh, uh, comparable numbers. And then you look at this NEMA office, and they have a vision to see 50,000 believers mobilized for a global movement. That's 50,000 people mobilized from Nigeria. They want to see those people trained, sent, and supported by the Nigerian church, 15,000. And that the harvest force go to the north of Nigeria, the more unreached part of Nigeria, North Africa, and the Arab world. And when I saw that, I thought, well, 15,000, you know, is that is kind of like a pie-in-the-sky kind of vision? But they say already they have 13,000 missionaries. And again, I think Emmanuel and Grace would be among those 13,000 that have been raised up within Nigeria that are focusing on the unreached parts of Nigeria. <clears throat> They've been sent out not to just Nigeria, but 192 countries of the world, working with 150 agencies in six different uh, geopolitical zones. 
So you have this wonderful potential in Nigeria amidst the brokenness, amidst the things that don't, don't seem to work so well, amidst corruption. There's a wonderful potential. And again, we asked, why here and why now? Because of the times we live in. And again, the we in that case was in northern Nigeria. I had seen this map just before I went to Nigeria, and it talks about different sorts of security threats in Nigeria. The red in the corner there is Boko Haram. That's been going, along for a long, going on for a long time. A lot of insecurity in that area. Muslims attacking other Muslim villages. If they don't, they're not Muslim enough, they'll, they'll attack them. The blue is uh, tensions between herders and farmers. The herders want the land the farmers are using. They'll go in and burn their houses, etc. It's a nasty situation. There's a separatist movement in the southeast. There's piracy off the coast. There's all sorts of stuff going on in Nigeria. So it's like, why is God's word important? Because of the times we live in, because of all those insecurities, because of all the questions that people come into your mind. You need that rock. You need something solid that doesn't change. And the Nigerian church is embracing that. And I think that's part of the motivation behind this 90-day campaign. Let's get back to God's word. And finally, why here and why now? Because the Nigerian church knows that they need God's help. They know they need him to speak into their lives for his spirit to reign into their hearts. And it was our prayer that God would bless the church in Nigeria and make them a blessing as they send out those missionaries to all over the world. So I want to turn that now. That was at our meeting in Joss. And why here in Mill Creek? Why now? And I think the answers are somewhat simple, similar, because Seattle is Seattle. A year ago, and a little over a year ago, we were talking about CHAZ. Nobody forgets about CHAZ, right? Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, is that what it stood for? I was reading an article in the New York Times that was published in June of last year when it was still kind of its, its height. They talked about a police-free, self-governing utopia. Was that what it turned out to be? They talked about free snacks at the no-cop co-op, free gas masks from some guy's sedan, free speech from the speaker's circle. Of course, you have to say what they want you to say, but sort of free speech. This is Seattle. You know, I travel, I go down to Albuquerque, different parts of the world, and they say, you're from Portland? And the people have this idea, you know, 100 days in a row of protests and all sorts of, you know, conflicts. And, you know, I never saw that. You know, I live in Portland, but I, I wasn't that close to it. People hear about Seattle and they say, oh, you're from the no-cop uh, co-op? Is that your, your thing there in Seattle? And it's like, well, I mean, there's a lot of great people in Portland. There's a lot of great people in Seattle, but we have a reputation. Because Seattle is Seattle. It's a tough place to live. What did you tell me, Steve? There are 15 families in the past year that have decided they don't want to raise their family in Seattle and have gone somewhere else? 23 families. Wow. Why is God's word so important here and now? Because Seattle is Seattle. Because of the times we live in. And again, I don't need to tell you about all the tensions we live in, all the, the desire you have to pull people this direction and that direction. I was talking to somebody this morning. He said, yeah, our son started going to this Lutheran church. Their thing is everybody's welcome, and they have the rainbow symbol. And they, they want to know if you, if you haven't been involved in the protest, how come you're not going on the protest? I mean, it's all about social justice. It's about this, that, and the other thing. Is, is that the same Bible that, that we're dealing with? Why here and why now? Because Seattle is Seattle. Because of the times we live in. And again, I think the answer is the same. We need God's help. 
We need to him to speak into our lives through his word. We need his spirit to reign in our hearts. We need God to bless us. We need to make us a blessing. Esther talked about your fighting song, right? And some of the words that I wrote down, you're with us in the fire, you're with us in the storm. You will lead us in the fiercest battle. Oh, where else would we go but with the Lord of hosts? And God's given us his word to be a lamp to our feet, to guide us, to help us find that path, even in the most difficult circumstances. It's like the sword of the Spirit as the Word of God. It pierces to the deepest place and helps us see us for what we really are. It's like that mirror where we see ourselves, what's good, what's ugly, what needs to change, what's honoring to God, and it's the bread of life. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Word of God. Oh, how we need that. So why is God's word important? Because it's God's word. Because it's changeless. How can God help us? It can teach us what is right. Keep us from what is wrong. Train us and equip us in the way of righteousness. Is just reading God's word enough? No. You have to take the time to go from head to heart and then finally to hands to make a difference in your life. And what does God promise to those who apply God's word? He promises to bless us. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank that your word is making a difference in Lagos, Nigeria, in Joss, Nigeria, that it's making a difference in Mill Creek, that it's making a difference in the Seattle and Portland areas in the lefty zone, that it can guide us in the most difficult times like a lamp shining in a dark place. God, that you'd call us back to your word. You'd call us back to fellowship with you. Thank you, God, for the non-changing, your non-changing word that we can rely on today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.